Welcome back to part B of the help side of Anna Flanagan. Now, if you missed part A, head back and check it out. Anna talks us through some of the highlights of her career and also what it took to build a brand around the athlete. Now, we'll rip into part B, where we talk mental health and the future of hockey. Let's go. Easton brings in, it's Flanagan, it's a goal, and Australia take the lead. Anna Flanagan's first goal of the World Cup. I want to talk about that um, your new degree um, and mental health because this is something that you, you're very active in that space. You're an ambassador for Headspace um, and you've spoken openly in the past about various eating disorders that have um, been a part of your career. Mm-hmm. Do you want to just talk to us a little bit about your journey with mental health? Yeah, um, I've, I feel like I've had sort of every mental health issue kind of thrown at me. Um, you know, even in retirement life, there's certain things, you know, I'm dealing with now um, that's a whole new battle. But um, I think for me, I've always had an addictive personality mm. and I channeled it into sport. Mm. Like that's why I was going above and like beyond in my training. I was like, I'm going to do more, I'm going to do mm. more. Um, and that very easily switched to when I was younger, being told my skin folds were too high, not having the knowledge to go to realize that, you know, I'm, I'm 16, I'm a female, I'm probably going to be a bit chubs. Um, <laughs> um, to, whereas I took that completely seriously and was eating so healthy that I dropped weight like that. And it was over Junior World Cup. And, um, and so then I basically lost my muscle and I was so young. I could, I could hardly run. And that then became my excuse for why I was so, like, I started being shit at hockey. I was just like, oh, well... And it was just a control thing, and I would not wish any sort on anyone. And I know it's so common um, in female sport, but um, it's just I yeah, it's it's that then it becomes it was control, and I didn't know how to get out of it or how to fix it. And it was such because there's so much shame and stigma, and so I couldn't talk about it. No one knew it was very hidden, like a lot of lies, because people could kind of tell. Um, but yeah, it wasn't until I basically what I had almost I think I'd no I'd almost retired that it, I was open about it mm. but it was once I'd gotten over that and was able to talk about it and that enough time had passed because it was so raw mm. um but it basically could have killed me mm. um so and it wasn't too far from then to when I was playing for Australia mm. and it was all from you know different comments around body shape and appearances like if you do this you'll get picked mm. so in my head I've taken that totally literally mm. and run with it and then it's turned into a full-blown um, disorder mm. and it's one that's really really hard to get on top of um, because it is about it is about control and you know jumping from that to whether it be you know eating disorders can go you know it can go to alcohol to drugs whatever it's being able to get control of that that addictive part in my brain um, and just do things a lot differently. Mm. Um, and so now that I've gone through a lot of these processes and I'm understanding it more, um, and you know, I've had a lot of therapy. Everyone can always have, <laughs> never have too much therapy. Um, it's that I actually really liked talking and sharing what I went through and how what I did or what other people can do. Um, 
and how that can help them. Mm. And then that's where I felt really fulfilled. And when I was able to teach it, that's when I could actually learn it and practice it myself. So it was actually almost like, like it sounds like, oh, I want to help people go like <laughs> pat on the back. But it was actually quite a selfish decision to, I want to help people because it makes me feel good. And then I can understand my own processes, what I have to do to make sure that I'm mentally okay and I'm mentally free and at peace um, mm. with myself and what's going on. And a lot of that is serving others. Mm. Um, and when I can teach them what I have, then I can go about my day. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was quite a selfish decision why I um, started studying that. And initially it was when I wasn't working, but um, yeah, I liked the idea of getting into that community service, drug and alcohol rehab space. Um, and yeah, just being able to help and then it also helps me mm. so i found it like this like mutually beneficial space if i finish my course <laughs> what's when's the ex- estimated time uh, next completion? year okay yeah but i have to do 160 hours of prac right i'll figure it out <laughs> <laughs> figure it out um so there are a lot of statistics just keeping on this mental health train for a little while um there are a lot of statistics that are published by the ais maybe last year that there's a there's a remarkably well there's a high incidence of mental health in athletes um do you think that that was something that definitely like just being an athlete and being in that high performance environment um really didn't help you at a, at a young age do you think that yeah, it's a tough one i think elite sport is so hard it mm. is so difficult um because you have these really big highs and these really big lows and it's such you know, it's, it's just, re- it's not easy at all. And it's so extreme. And, you know, people have said to me in like my post hockey life, they're like, you have attracted to drama because I think I look for those extremes, like outside of that. Mm. Um, because that's what you kind of get used to as well. But yeah, I, I, I think when you're, when you are younger, and especially I can coming from Canberra, everything, I didn't have the a hard run. Like I was in a team in Canberra where we always won like, I didn't have much resilience. Mm. And so going in from that to then the next level or next five levels that skyrocketed pretty quickly at that age, would I just didn't have the resilience to be able to deal with it. Um, and so, but it's very, it is really hard to tell. I think, you know, I did go over when I was 19. I still think I probably wasn't ready. I probably could have stayed home for longer before mm. I went over, um, even though, you know, you'd hope you'd be pretty mature at 19, but I think I was pretty mature. I relied on my parents a lot. Um, in saying that, I grew up really quickly. Mm. Um, so In Perth, like once in you got Perth, there? In Perth, living by myself overseas, mm. um, going through all of this, trying to do it by myself. That was probably the worst part is that I felt like I couldn't bring anyone in. Mm. Um, I didn't want to seem weak or that mm. I couldn't do it. Um and not using, you know, services around me or having someone to just be like, I don't know what I'm doing here or is this normal or um, not being able to have that, I think is quite difficult. Perth is so far removed. And so, um, yeah, I'm really wary at being, I think the girls coming in too young, especially then, yeah, not getting into study, not doing any of that, not having a life balance. It's such a risk because I know for me, when I had all of my eggs in hockey, um, in one basket especially when I was you know year 12 when I that's when I did get quite sick um when hockey went I felt like I had nothing mm. and I just didn't have that knowledge to have other things in my life that would um be like okay if hockey's not going so well I'll just shift over to here for a bit and mm. do this and have family and social and 
work or study, whatever it was. It was just like, this is all or nothing. And went for nothing for me, that meant like a deep depression. Mm. Um, and yeah, so I didn't have that, that I guess that resilience. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't that, you know, my parents, my dad, like he was really hard on me. So I wasn't allowed to cry. I should have had a lot of resilience, but <laughs> um, yeah, it's, you know, everyone's different. And so I'm wary, I think, of the kids coming into the program um, in all sports to age, I think are too young. You know, I think there's like a rugby league player they're trying to get signed now who's 17. Mm. And I'm like, just give him another year. <laughs> mm. Just to grow up a bit. Like, mm. But in saying that, if someone told me that when I was 17, I'd tell them where to go. Because I was like, I'm ready two years ago. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's a hard one. Is this something that you've really reflected on post-retirement? Or were you aware um, of, you know, obviously you're aware of how you're feeling at the time. But um, you mentioned as well, it's really hard to get yourself kind of out of that. Is this something that you've really reflected on a lot post-retirement? Or is this something that you're actively really trying to work on? while you were playing or partly while I was playing but mostly post post um I wish I had more I guess tools and I was more open um and sharing what was going on a lot more freely mm. um but yeah it's really I think you know for me I was just like oh what if that psychologist who's the team psychologist tells the coaches like I was very worried about what other people thought mm. and it's only since you know, probably moving to Sydney even was playing it's just being open and sharing and everyone has like their own shit and everyone's so understanding and then once you're open then someone else will open up to you and you create this dialogue and it's just it's really freeing um so it's been more since yes yeah, since I've I guess stopped playing hockey and once I've come to Sydney it's that yeah speaking those truths when things aren't going well or when they're going when they are sort of that that sets you free Mm. and you're not sort of stuck in your head and um that can be especially being in Perth and in this little bubble can be a really difficult place um to be in um and you know I think I started too young like I think yeah in hindsight it'd be better if I was a bit older had a bit more resilience um would I have still had the same like issues coming going no and do I regret anything no because it's leading me like exactly where I'm meant to be now Mm. um and I believe that that you know there's there's, there is a path for me Mm. and like that's all come from all of that experience like the good the bad it'll lead to hopefully some of the best things in my life Mm. whatever that is Mm. is that what you'd say to your younger self keep going I'd be like, get out now. (laughs) (laughs) Quit now. (laughs) Yeah, I think it would just be to be patient. I Mm. wanted everything to happen so quickly. And like, it's okay if you get dropped. It's okay. Like these things happen. Um, It's not the end of the world. Um, I think it's, it's such a hard place when you're a fringe player. And that's probably where a lot, most of... Um, the people who will reach out it's when they're having those issues being like I don't know where I'm sitting and so and that's usually when people are feeling like shit because they don't have that security Mm. Um, but that's okay I think it's more just being present and just like whatever happens it's you if you do you know you just put do your best what you can and then you've got your balance in life and and having that balance as well it's also you can perform it's not like having balance so it'll take away it's just fulfilling, I guess, those other areas of your life so that you play better. So your mm. hockey is still your number one priority. It just means like mentally you're going to be 
a lot stronger. Mm. Mm. It sounds like, I mean, you mentioned before your parents are both athlete welfare and education. It sounds like you have a lot, well, firstly, a lot of experience, but also a real interest in, I guess, younger people and, and showing people perhaps what's best with their career. Is that a path that you see yourself going down oh, after after all this? I don't know. I don't know if it would be career advice. I don't think I'd be anyone's career <laughs> advice. I mean, you're, you're working on your fourth. I mean, they can't. Um, but I, I think it would be in that... Um, yeah, in that, that mental well-being space, um, it's really hard to talk to people who haven't experienced that and then to then engage and try relate. Um, and so I think that's then potentially why there are people that ask me these questions because they know so they don't feel embarrassed or bad because they're mm. like, well, she's been through it. So, mm. like, what do you do? I don't think too many people are asking me right, right now what I do. It's like maybe in a few years when I'm more successful. Um, <laughs> they're like, don't do what she does. Um, but, yeah, it's, it, is, it does feel really nice because it's like you've spent so long in that many hours training and then all of a sudden you stop hockey and you're like, well, like, how, how do I help or give back in some way to something that's given me so much? Um, and that's something that's really hard to do, especially when it's like, you know, I was dropped. It wasn't like, you know, the nicest way out and everything's like fairy tale. Um, and as I said, it happened how it was meant to happen. Um, so it's, yeah, how do I, I guess, give back in a way? And I think for me, it's, yeah, it's letting players reach out. It's still doing those bits and pieces of coaching here and there. But I'm, I don't love coaching that much. Mm. I'd prefer to talk about like, how are you going? Yeah. Like, what's going on for you? Like, that stuff I actually quite enjoy. Yeah, yeah. Was that something that you would do as a teammate? Because obviously a lot of team sport is getting the most out of your teammates to be the best team that you can. Is that something... Is that your I don't think I did that much. Mm. I wish I did. Mm. I was more just wanting I, ever, wanting to be nice to everyone and, mm. you know, and everyone to be happy, but <laughs> um, <laughs> caring what other people thought and being like, oh. Um, but now, yeah, I, I now when I play club hockey, I'm, I'm such a different player as mm. I was then, completely different. Um, how I speak to people in the field, how I contribute, how, um, you know, and the girls do as well to me because they, it's just that whole dynamic has completely changed when I first came to Sydney and I was fucking yelling at everyone <laughs> like, being like, this is an international hockey, it's so shit. <laughs> and I would have been such a nightmare to play with. I say that now and I'm like, how did you play with me? Mm. Um, and it's just all completely different now. And to get the best out of people, it's like, if I yell at that 14-year-old, she's not going to play very well. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it, you know, it's just I've learned a lot. But I definitely didn't do that when I was playing. Yeah, um, yeah I wish I had this mind, like, 21 that would be okay but yeah it's just learning learning about it and learning from others and like people like Madonna Blythe used to do it really well she always get everyone in you know just the right headspace and motivated and how she spoke and she did it really well and I always wondered mm. how, and it's just time and experience you mm. can't you know yeah and just learning about it really but some people are kind of gifted with it um I wasn't it was going through a lot of different goods bads and the other and that's kind of where I've got to now and, um, yeah, and how I communicate with people. 
For sure. I was talking to Ava de Choda the other week and she said, I didn't know this, but she took a whole year off hockey after Rio. Mm-hmm. Um, and she went and lived in South Africa and, and yeah. like played club hockey or whatever. I don't know. And then came back and kind of rediscovered her love for it. It's a difficult thing, that sabbatical idea, because um, obviously being semi-professional slash amateur athletes, it's not like you can afford to um, just leave the little income you have from hockey and go and do something like that but is that something that you think you might have benefited from yeah totally but I just loved it so much yeah I don't think I would have done it um and because I knew that like I was a pretty average player I think and I just had to work so hard like I wasn't one of those people who just had these natural talent um so I think I felt like if even if I missed a day of training I'm like oh I can't do that anymore like it's gone I just felt like I had to work really hard. So, but I think that's awesome. Um, I think having infinite time off, um, just so that you can, it, to prolong your career, really, I think is it's great because you see so many girls, you know, especially like when families, whatever, and stopping like maybe before, like they physically need to, um, to just have that time off and to come back. Is, yeah, I think it's an awesome idea. Mm. Um, again but just being aware that i know when i went to holland it's like i gave other people an opportunity to step up um as well so if i did it again i don't know if i would have gone but i also like that's such a cool experience to live overseas by yourself in a place that you know i had to learn dutch so that was cool nice we've spoken a little bit about you building your brand do you think that when things weren't going so well that was it was a little bit difficult having built up that big brand that's another kind of expectation that you you had on yourself or not really yeah no there was more pressure like um in terms of that the brands had expectations Mm. that i was going to i'm like initially i was going to be the face of nike for rio um yeah fuck that up (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) And, um, like, I think, like, by not going to Rio, it was probably cost me, like, 150 grand. Wow. Um, yeah, it's a pretty costly mistake here. <laughs> um, um, but, again, it, it, that, it happened for a reason. And um, I think, you know, the media then attention, obviously, people have done similar things to me and it's just been, like, mm. no one knows about it, whereas... Mm. I had all of this media hype. I wasn't playing that well um, going into it. Like I did get picked for the first two, um, the first the tournaments leading in, which was basically the Olympic team got dropped from those for everyone already knows who listens to hockey. Um, and it was that was really hard, and I still I'm that's something that I'm still actually processing um, to this day is how to I use that and release that guilt and shame of past mistakes and things I've done or lies and blah, blah, blah. Um, Like I'm only really addressing some of that stuff now Mm. um, because it's something that like, like eats away at me. I have so much guilt about like not going to those Olympics and what happened that year. But um, there was, there was the added pressure, but in that sense it didn't change how you know it didn't make me want to play better or worse Mm. it was just it was probably more um more from like that media sense and it's it's hard one because they had this you know expectation me on what they thought i was as a player but then behind closed doors like 
it was like falling apart. I wasn't doing well. I was, yeah, not really very present at all. Um, but they don't see that. Mm. Um, so, you know, they, those, and it's funny cause like if you're with good brands, they support you. Mm. Like I was still with Nike and Red Bull after Rio and they're like, things happen. Like we're here to support you. Like we know you as a person mm. and that's because I built the relationship. Um, and same as my stick brand, it's the, they, they, you know, they didn't just go, oh, see ya. It was, um, they were like, everyone likes a comeback story, except that <laughs> I never had that comeback story. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, they were, they were really, really good people to deal with and really understanding of everything. And, um, you know, when you, when I parted ways with the brands, it was that, they were still like, we're going to keep in contact and all this stuff and like whatever you need. And it was a really good relationship. Mm. Um, and that's why like I loved Red Bull were just so cool. <laughs> I did some awesome stuff with them and they were, um, you know, they've, they have, they're with extreme athletes. They go, they've got issues happening all the time um, with athletes. So um, they're just supportive and basically they want you to be okay. Mm. So that was really cool. It's time again for the Hero of Hockey segment, sponsored by my very own stick sponsor, Voodoo Hockey Australia. Now, we're getting some great responses from all of you. Please keep sending them in. We love to hear about all the people out there doing great work in their community. This week, thanks to Leighton Keane for sending in this week's Hero of Hockey from the Kalamunda Hockey Club in Perth. It's Belinda BJ O'Reilly. Leighton writes, BJ is an all-around amazing person and life member of Kalamunda Hockey Club. You might be familiar with the name. It's the junior club of Kookaburra goalkeeper Tyler Lovell. Now, BJ plays in the women's first team, is the junior coordinator, coach of the J9 10A reserve team, manager of the men's second team, and also umpires matches every weekend. BJ works tirelessly around the club, always helping out in the bar, canteen, and coaching many of the Kalamunda Hockey Club juniors. An inspiration to so many in the club, she does all of this without looking for any thanks or accolades and deserves to be recognised. Now, we absolutely agree, Leighton. Well done for getting that in and a huge thanks to BJ for doing all you do for our sport. We absolutely love it. You're our voodoo hero of hockey for the week and you're in the running to win a voodoo prize pack valued at up to 600 Aussie dollars. Remember, anyone else with someone in mind who deserves some recognition, do not hesitate to get in touch and get your hero in the running to win the Voodoo prize pack. Plus, just for nominating, you'll instantly get a $100 voucher to be spent on a fresh Voodoo hockey stick. Check out our socials for details. You're a marketer now. That's what you do. You do marketing. You're, you're a boss marketer. <laughs> um, just talking about hockey more generally, it's not the most publicized sport in the world. Um, mm. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on, on where hockey should be going in order to, to grow as a brand like you grew yours. Well, one, it's, yeah, it's leveraging other brands and people and just starting those conversations and using the players. I think something we're, we do, we kind of, they try to do it like, a little bit a couple of years ago and it's like the hockey heroes and they do it in basketball so well it's mm. like they've got these big stars and they're superstars mm. and I feel like in Australia it's such like a tall poppy syndrome it's like oh they're doing well let's just cut them down a bit and it's like you need there's so many people in a team it's the people who have been there for a long time you know who are willing to do the work who are marketable um, 
and you're using their profiles and using their content and um, building these these people that people can resonate and go like, oh yeah, that guy he plays hockey. Whereas at the moment they're like, who's the hockey roos kookaburra is like, you go name a player and they're like, nah, I don't know. It's just um, like it has to be familiar and it has to be consistent and it's going to be quite difficult to get you know a whole team sponsored by a really big brand but potentially starting at the individuals Mm. um and i think you know fih has a really big platform um and it's just i think australia needs to leverage that like let's still take some of their followers from around the world and um because that's you know there's so many it's like the india argentina like i you know i'll try get a contract for i don't know clothes with someone here and they're like send us your insights and what's your, where's your following from and i'm like india <laughs> and they're like well how are we going to sell stuff in eastern suburbs of sydney <laughs> like, mm. <laughs> like <laughs> i'm like i always been like oh i don't want to send you my insights because <laughs> you're actually not going to get much out of me um but yeah it's there's i think hockey has so much work to do um in that space and it is it is a really difficult space to be and i know we've got some big sponsorships and money's really tight right now for companies so it's even harder but it's starting at the little things starting at you know getting the local grocery shop to start just easing those certain things for athletes and then it's it's basically getting the athletes on board to go well do you want to build your profile as a team whatever you've got to start making new somehow like are you gonna go to a school you gonna call up town and be like hey the hockey roos are here you're gonna you have to start like creating some kind of hype around it and mm. it's not everyone's cup of tea mm. um yeah some people they just want to play hockey um but it is so important for the longevity of the sport if you want to keep playing hockey at this level people need to be watching it otherwise they're going to flick it from the olympics mm. um so I'd, i don't know if i don't have really any more answers than anyone else but it's just People need to be willing, I think, is the first thing. And once people are willing to get their name out there and do a bit of hard work and not feeling bad or embarrassed about it, I think a lot of people go, oh, no, like, I don't want to look like a wanker. And it's just <laughs> like, let's do it. You're the only one who thinks that. And, yeah, and it's like, well, at the end of the day, if you're getting paid more and to look like a bit more of a wanker to, you know, talk yourself up, um, yeah, then who's laughing kind of thing. <laughs> Is it something you, you care about? Is it something you're passionate about? Or is it something you only think about when you get asked on a podcast? No, I always I think about it. I probably I probably whinge about it more often than not in like, what are we doing? And I know that Hockey Australia are working really hard because it is a really tough, that sponsorship game is a really tough market. But I think it is also hard that like Hockey Australia is in Perth and then, like, that's why, again, I had a manager over here. My opportunities came from the eastern side, from Sydney. I couldn't really get anything mm. in Perth. Um, and, like, my manager basically is like, I can guarantee you can get cars over here. Mm. Um, it's it's really, it's a hard one. I know it's in Perth. I don't know whatever, how much longer, etc. But it's then having to, how do you get those opportunities and everything from the east when everyone's in Perth? Or are you flying people over for opportunities? Opportunities, um, and that's what I did off my own back. But it'd be really awesome if they had some kind of budget to get people over here, or like while you're here, like you're here now. It's COVID. Um, yeah, getting interviews, getting on Sunrise, getting in 
whatever you know magazine it is and you're having a day and you're smashing it out and then they've got all this content going forward especially going into olympic year and that's what that's what happened to me it was like i probably did two days of pr Mm. and it was just like all of this constant stuff rolling out pre-olympics which you know that kind of bit me in the ass but (laughs) it was good for hockey so it was just getting the sport out there which um that's it that's just what we have to do for the sport to survive and it'd be like it would be so, like i was watching people play soccer the other day and just kicking a ball i'm like that is so unsatisfying <laughs> like if i go hit a ball it's satisfying like <laughs> hockey is a good sport you just need to get more people around it do you think it's produced well how so like the product on tv um because you actually you spend some time as we mentioned before with star sports and yeah and you're um presenting spend some time in that space yeah i they definitely think they can make it more fun something different um you know the, you've got the standard commentators um yeah i don't i don't know on that one to be honest it's yeah i guess i think like that was a really awesome experience for me and i also think it was great because i knew the guys so it was really they were like very like i don't want to talk to the reporters and then i was like hi and so they'd come and have a chat and i think getting there are so many people who who want to do do that getting the athletes more involved rather than like joe from england who does the commentating Mm. i think you like using the athletes putting some money in the athletes pockets um i think that'd be awesome um and you know what you're talking about as well you know the players and um, you know, I may not have when I was in India, but <laughs> <laughs> I did like a 15 second interviews and I was still like, Oh, but it was, it was really cool experience. And, um, and again, I, my following grew so much from that. Yeah. Um, cause again, just being in India, um, so getting the players to do that, that you're growing their following, you're growing these like heroes and. Mm. Again, that's when people start resonating and remembering those names mm. and, and then you're getting sponsors and all that kind mm. of stuff starts happening. Mm. So the growth comes from the individuals within the sport. That's, that's your flaw. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Like, I just I keep comparing it to basketball. Mm. And they it's, do you it know, incredibly They just well, do it so well. And it's, yeah. they've got these, like, you know, you go, yeah, you ask a kid and, you know, they could be following the Lakers, but they'll have, like, a player. Yeah. They'll have a player. Yeah. And yeah. Even growing up, I was like, I was upset. I love Katrina Powell. Mm. And I was just like, she's amazing. Or Nikki Hudson, like, she's amazing. Like, you have these heroes. Yeah. Um, and I think... Where did yeah. that come from? Was it just because you saw them playing the Olympics? Or, yeah, um, I, I did. Trina's from, from Canberra. Trina was but... from Canberra. So that was, and she was the captain. And I saw her play in Sydney. Mm. And then um, Nikki Hudson, she was playing like my first year of AHL. Yeah. And because she, again, she was captain. So yeah. she just, just, yeah, was a good player. Yeah, yeah. I just, yeah. I was the goal scorers. Sucks if you're a defender. You're probably not going to be one of the heroes. But, <laughs> 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 but um, yeah, I think, I think, that, I really think that's the way to go. Because, mm. yeah, there's only so much you can do because that individual is building the team name as well. Mm. Um, but then it's hard again because it is a team sport. It's who gets what. But if everyone wants to do it, then that'd be awesome. Mm. Did you ever struggle with the? Because I mean, you were very, very active, and um, you definitely grew the brand of the hockey roos in general. I mean, you had a, as I've said this before, but you had a massive following. Was it was it difficult to be a part of the team and still be pushing that message? Um, 
Only when I wasn't playing well. Yeah, okay. When I wasn't playing well, I got a bit, I got pushed back. Um, and it wasn't necessarily the players, more like the coach has been like, well, you're getting these opportunities. This girl's playing better than you. Why are you doing that? Mm-hmm. I was like, because I worked my ass off. But um, I remember it was, it was before Rio and I was going to fly to Sydney because I was going to sign a car deal. And the coach was just like, no, you can't. Like, you're not playing well enough to... And then um, I remember just being like crying. He's like, all right, you can go. And then I decided I'd, I couldn't go because I was like, I don't want to jeopardize this. And things like that was really hard. So um, you, weren't, you weren't allowed to go because you weren't playing well enough? Like, because you were going to miss training or because why? I might have missed one training, yeah. Um, seems, seems <laughs> missed one training, but um, that's, that's strange. So I think like that was, things like that were hard because it is... You know, flying from Perth to Sydney, I did a few where I did like an event with Nike and mm. Red Bull on a weekend. Mm. I went to Formula One, it was really cool. <laughs> and then my flight was delayed, so I got back at like three in the morning and I had to train at like seven. Mm. And yeah, things like that where it's, and then it was like, you shouldn't have done that. And I was like, oh, damn mm. it. Mm. Um, that was quite difficult to then, you trying to do the right thing by the brand yeah. and the team. Yeah. And then, you know, people are like, we should be doing team first. Mm. But you also have these obligations and that, like, it is quite difficult. But I think once people could understand that this actually is going to help the team yeah. and the sport in general, um, when you kind of get out of the bubble, it's sort of a bigger thing. Um, it's allowing people those opportunities, especially in hockey, because they don't come by very often. And, you know, we can all basically, I'm sure, players like any kind of support especially financially that you can get you kind of take with both hands mm. that's a really interesting point mm. food for thought all right we're going to finish with three quick questions i say this tentatively because when i say quick questions everyone just tends to answer them like as quickly as possible that's not really <laughs> the point the point is answer the question organically okay best player you've ever played with she's thinking you can't see it at home she's thinking very hard screwing up her face Casey Easton. Casey Easton. Mm. Why is that? She's like naturally just so talented mm. and then just such a, like, look at her, such a great athlete. Um, and yeah, she was so young as well when she came in. Just And I just think like her stick level um, sort of compared to everyone was really outstanding. She, mm. could, she could just do everything. She could play a striker or a defender or whatever. Mm. Um and yeah, I think she's just really talented. Best player you've ever played against? Amar. Any tournament in particular where that really, because that one was a bit easier to answer than, than Casey. <laughs> um, oh, the last, I played against her in her last tournament. Mm. I'm totally on that. Yeah. No, uh, was it? On that Netflix show. What's oh, it called? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Lucha or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You like see my ponytail. I'm like, what does it mean? <laughs> Um. Yeah. Oh, I. Every. Oh, I think like one game we might have shut her down. All right, but every time she just what she could do because she held her stick like right at the end. How she had like these go-go gadget arms mm. and just did the sickest stuff. Mm. And yeah, she was unreal. So I can't really pinpoint a tournament. Um. But her and, and Lita by um, Wilton, she was. 
because I played against a lot of the Dutch and Holland just, yeah, yeah as well I was like wait does that make sense <laughs> um and yeah that was because like obviously like you know when it's just like a peg lower I can really see their skill level yeah 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 it's pretty outstanding okay last question and I know you've you've given a lot of good advice over the last hour and a half but one more piece of advice and you may have already answered this you might not want to change your answer but to build a brand in an amateur sport what are a few tips um look at like look at what's marketable Mm. and how can you be marketable yourself I think um and get help like it's with everything it's with Hockey, mental health, get help. Um, especially if it's, you know, if you've got a family friend who can help you out with a stick sponsorship or something. Um, and then, yeah, the girls up and coming. It's looking at these, there's, you know, there's amateur managers then there's next level. Just, I think, yeah, looking to get help in that space um, because there are opportunities there, but you just need the people who know people. Um, like, I don't know people. <laughs> <laughs> Other people do. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. That's it. Thanks. Cool. Thank you. Thanks for the tea too. No worries. Beautiful. That's it for another episode of The Help Side. Special thanks to my production team of David Moore and Tim Collier, plus countless others working behind the scenes to get this to you. You're the real MVPs. Again, if you're liking the show, please like, subscribe, you know the drill, and get in touch with us via our socials. We would love to hear from you. Anyway, that's all, folks. See you next week.